Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea in Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, is not, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Will I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on, lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. But you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thanks, Annabelle. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's lovely to just open the Bible uh, together as a church. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Neil, and uh, it's great to be with you today. Please... uh, Keep that passage open, or uh, you can look it up on your phone if you like. No, I won't take that out of there, because that's going to slip out there. We'll just leave that like that. No, 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 it's good. I'm good. I'm good. I can, I can, I can look down like that. So, <clears throat> uh, as Matthew said, guys, we are here at CCC. We're looking at our Encounters with Jesus series in the Gospel of, of Matthew. Different people that Jesus met. Um, thanks, Vaughn. Thank you, Vaughn. That's good. <laughs> Different people that Jesus met. Um, what happened when he met them. So today we are looking at a significant moment in Jesus' relationship with the Apostle Peter. This was far from their first chat, but this is where we get an answer to our big question of life today, which is, who is Jesus? Uh, I wonder if I asked you that question, what would be your answer? Well, who is he? I think we get a good range of responses. You know, some people would confidently say, yes, he's the son of God. Others would respectfully not think that. Um, Maybe some would be more vague or a bit distant in their answer. Other people believe this or just, I don't know. I don't really think about it very much. Whatever it is that you would say, what I want to show us from this passage is Jesus's answer to his own question. It's Jesus's answer to his own question. Who is he? He's going to tell us who he is. He's going to explain it to us. 
First thing he's going to tell us is that he's the Messiah. Then he's going to tell us that he has to die. And then he's going to tell us that he's our whole life. That he's our life. Let me give you a bit of a heads up. We are going to hop a little bit around the Bible. It's all going to be on the screen. You don't need to flick too much. Because this is a part of the Bible where in order to understand what it is that Jesus is saying, we need to look up some of the terms and references that would have been really familiar to the original audience Matthew wrote to. But to us, it's a, it might not be quite so clear. But primarily, we're always going to be in Matthew 16 that you should have there in front of you. So let's take these one at a time. The first one, Jesus is the Messiah. If you look down the passage to verse 13, we find Jesus, as we often do in the Gospels, he's walking between one encounter and another. He's talking with his disciples, and he has this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, already, there's a question in there. Who, what's the Son of Man? Who's that? Peter and the other disciples would be very familiar with this title that Jesus is referring to himself as, the Son of Man. It's from an older book in the Bible, from Daniel. And there we find... God gives Daniel this vision and he sees this. He says, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, this is me. This is, he's claiming to be this son of man, the long-awaited ruler of God's forever kingdom. But you know, the disciples, they look around them and they think to themselves, well, that doesn't fit because we clearly do not live in God's kingdom on earth. We live under Roman occupation. How can you possibly be the son of man? But still, this is Jesus's question. Who do people say that the son of man is? And the people have some answers. If, uh, if you're in Matthew chapter 16 there, it's in verse 14. Some say, oh, you're John the Baptist. Some say, oh, you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Now, those are all very understandable answers because we looked at it in Malachi chapter 4 earlier this year. God had promised that Elijah, his messenger, would come back. A bit strange because Elijah was long dead at that point, but God said Elijah's going to come back. And it was John the Baptist, one of their other suggested answers, who fulfilled that role, but he's just been killed by Herod and there's clearly a lot of confusion on who Jesus is, hence these answers. What's happening is the people are trying to reconcile what they know about the Son of Man from Scripture with their circumstances, they live under Roman occupation, and with who Jesus is before them. He clearly has this amazing power. He clearly has this authority to teach. He can clearly do miracles. They've seen all that in Jesus. But, but when, when asked the question, who is Jesus? All the people, the disciples tell us, the answers that they all come up with are all saying the same thing. They're all saying Jesus is, well, he's just a human being with a divine message, but he is just a human being. That's what all those answers have in common. But what about the disciples? Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Let's, let's not talk about everyone else for now. Let's talk about you. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers on their behalf in verse 16. See what he says? He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now there's more there. That's not the same answer as everyone else. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter is looking over at Jesus and his mouth speaks what he believes in his heart. Jesus is no mere prophet. He's not just a godly man. This is an amazing moment. This is the first time the disciples actually get who Jesus is. He, who is he? He is the promised son of 2 Samuel 7. 
This is another promise that God made to King David. Uh, he He tells him that one day he is the one, someone is going to come in David's line, in David, one of David's descendants. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then look at this. I will be his father and he will be my son. So again, God made a promise in the Old Testament. One day a king is going to come. Daniel knew that too. One day a king is going to come who is going to rule God's kingdom forever. But even greater still, somehow this king is going to be God's own son. Now we know the somehow. They didn't know the somehow. We know the somehow. Mary's virgin birth. Joseph is not the father of Mary's baby. God is. But here we are with Peter and Jesus is, is, is standing right there and Peter looks at him and he's like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And he realizes, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're not, everyone thinks, everyone thinks that you're one of the prophets. You're not one of the prophets. No, no, no. You're the one the prophets were talking about. You're the anointed one. Jeremiah was one of the answers people said. Jeremiah said, an anointed one is going to come who will save us from our sins. So Peter looks at Jesus and goes, it's you. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus is really pleased with his answer because he says um, in verse 17, just from what he said, Jesus is pleased with what Peter said. And, and Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed because this answer has come from God revealing it to him. Let me read verse 17 for us. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Peter's answer, it is correct, but it hasn't come, Jesus says, it hasn't come from his intelligence, from his reason, it hasn't come from another person convincing him, it's come from God. Jesus actually explained this to them a little bit earlier. I would love you to keep your hand in Matthew 16, but would you turn to the left, go to Matthew 11 with me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Turn back a few pages there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. It won't be on the screen, but just if you have a Bible there, look, turn to that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. And Jesus says, All things have been committed to me. Sorry, I'll give you a second. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you can go back to Matthew chapter 16 there. So Jesus is saying that if you believe that he is the Messiah, that is because God has given you that understanding. God has revealed that to you. That's a very precious gift. But we didn't, or we can't get to that answer on our own. We can see sides to Jesus, like those people who Jesus asked of, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, oh, Jesus, you're a messenger from God. Oh, Jesus, you have authority when you teach the Bible. People today might say, oh, Jesus, you know, you're a very, you're an inspiration when it comes to leadership. People have huge respect for Jesus as a leader. Jesus, you're such an example of love. I hear that all the time. People People say that all the time. Or Jesus, you're incredibly influential. And he is. He is all of those things, but he is so much more than those things. And that is what Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand. But the most important thing is we need to understand no one can get a full picture of who Jesus is unless God opens our eyes to see him. But Peter's answer, it still isn't the full picture. He gets, he gets, uh, he gets number one, that Jesus is the Messiah. But he has a bit more of a hard time with this one. Jesus must die. If you glance down again at Matthew chapter 16, Peter hears some mighty promises from Jesus in verse 18 and 19. We don't really have enough time to cover all of them in detail, but if you're curious, you can ask about them in Q&A. But they're in 18 and 19. Have a look there. 
Jesus says Peter is a rock on which Jesus will build his church. He says the gates of Hades, that is hell and death, will not overcome the church. He says Peter will be given the keys to the kingdom. Whatever he binds or loosens on earth will be so in heaven. So we don't have a time to go into all of that. So we're just going to focus on the rock in verse, in verse 18 there. You see, long before, long before, small town wrestler Dwayne Johnson self-appointed himself as the rock. Here we have Jesus saying, Peter, you're the rock. So why is Peter the rock? Because of what he is saying. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He's saying, Jesus, you're the son of God. That message is the rock on which the church will stand. We can be saved from our sins through God's gift of his son. Peter is important, but Peter will very shortly demonstrate that it's not the man, it's the message. Because if the man alone, Peter is important, but if the man alone was the rock, well, then it's a wobbly rock. Because Peter is like all of us. He messes up from time to time. Let's look at uh, verse 21 and 22 and 23 in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16. Let's see an example of, of Peter messing up. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Didn't things take a turn there? Peter so strongly protests Jesus' intention to go to Jerusalem that he rebukes him. And that word rebuke, it's the same word Jesus uses when he rebukes a demon out of someone who's possessed by an evil spirit. Peter says, no, Jesus, you're not going, never. No, I'm sure if any of us heard from a dear friend, I'm going to go to some place and they're going to cause my suffering and I'm going to die there. I'm sure as a good friend, you would probably say, please don't go. Um, we would protest too. But Peter is not making a suggestion. He's not making a suggestion. He's saying, you're not going. This is not happening. And it's not out of concern for Jesus' safety. A dead Messiah does not fit with Peter's picture of who Jesus is. Doesn't fit with his picture of how is this God's son, the king, who dies? That, that does not make any sense at all. Tim Keller, uh, the, the late great uh, Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, he helps us to get inside Peter's head in his commentary on this passage. He says, the notion that the Messiah would suffer made no sense at all because the Messiah was supposed to defeat evil and injustice and make everything right in the world. How could he defeat evil by suffering and dying? That seemed ridiculous, impossible. And by using the word must, which is in verse 21 there, the Messiah must die. Jesus is also indicating that he is planning to die, that he is doing it voluntarily. He is not merely predicting that it will happen. This is what probably offends Peter the most. It is one thing for Jesus to say, I will fight and I will be defeated. But it's quite another to say, this is why I came. I intend to die. This is totally inexplicable to Peter. So friends, what we have here is Jesus saying, if he doesn't go to Jerusalem, then he is not the person that Peter thinks he is, the Messiah. He has to go and be killed on a cross and rise to life again. And that is why we have Jesus say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Because do you remember? Jesus, the devil also tried to stop Jesus from doing this. 
So Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're telling me to do what the devil told me to do. Don't go to the cross. The devil tried to tempt Jesus. Oh, be the king without having to go and die. Peter's picture of Jesus is the same. He believes Jesus is the promised son. That's good. He believes he's the promised king. But Jesus is gracefully yet firmly saying, Peter, Peter, your answer of who I am is incomplete. Jesus is trying to help Peter understand this, right? He, has, he hasn't come to take power. He's come to give it. He hasn't come to live. He's come to die. He hasn't come to be served. He's come to serve. But Peter doesn't understand all this yet. He will, but he doesn't understand this yet. But what about us? Because I ask you to think about what your answer would be to the question, who is Jesus? Well, where does his death and his resurrection fit into the mix for you? Because if we haven't got Jesus' death and resurrection, then we haven't really got him at all. Jesus said, Peter, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Human beings will have an opinion, a view of Jesus that fits their concerns. Maybe, maybe a gentle Jesus who leaves me alone. Or maybe a Jesus who gives me what I want when I want. Or a Jesus who is very far off, a long ago legend. Well, Jesus is none of those things. He's none of those things. Peter had settled for a really small Messiah, and now Jesus is is revealing to him he is even greater than Peter could have imagined. And God wants to open our minds as well. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, he still wants us to open our minds deeper still to see who Jesus is, to have a greater, fuller picture of who Jesus is. And who is he? He's the Messiah who must die. He's the Messiah who willingly went to a cross to die for his people. And if on hearing this, you're prompted in any way to ask a question, maybe to pray, maybe to ask God to open your eyes wider to see Jesus and follow him, then please do that. And you can come and ask a question afterwards or come and chat to me afterwards if you want. But this is really important because of what Jesus is now going to go on to do, it says, to believe in him, as Peter does. He's revealed who he is, but now Jesus is going to explain to Peter and to us what following him is going to look like. It's a little something like this. You're going to think I'm crazy for what I'm about to say, all right? But here's the headline of basically what Jesus is saying. We're not made to follow our dreams. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? We're not made to follow our dreams. We build our whole lives on our dreams and what we want and what we hope for. But actually, we're not made to follow our dreams because we're made to follow him. We're made to follow Jesus. And in him, we find life. So we're going to look at verses uh, 24 to 28. But before we get to those, I just want to tell you, um, I used to go hiking, you know, climb a big hill, mountain. We already have mountains in Ireland, do we, hills? Um, but I didn't have, uh, I was up for a bit of an adventure, but I didn't have the gear that I needed, you know? Apparently you need lots of gear. So I went to this hiking shop and the salesman definitely saw me coming because I ended up with this big backpack, you know? I mean, I don't mean like a school bag. I mean, this thing was almost as big as me, you know? It was a huge, big bag and you load it up with, with, with all the gear. You need your, um, what do you need? You need your base layer, I think it's called. You need your jumpers. You need lots of different kinds of layers because the weather and the temperature changes all the time. You need all that. I got this big uh, water pouch, which was so lovely named a bladder. And you put it in your backpack and it's got a little straw that comes around here and you can just suck it like that. Um, it's got, I got energy bars and I loaded it up in my big backpack. And you know what, guys? It was so heavy. <laughs> it was so heavy. And off I went up the hill and I didn't. I thought, this, this is not fun at all. This is not enjoyable because this backpack is making the journey much worse. It's so heavy and it's so, so hard. That was until, of course, I got cold and I wanted a jumper. And then I was very grateful uh, for that. Or, or I got to sit and have a, you know, food tastes so good on a mountain. It was so, so nice. 
And then we were watching the view with my friends and thought, oh, this is, this is, this is amazing. Well, following Jesus is, is, is a bit like that, you know? He's telling us that it's going to be hard, but also it's amazing. Um, Jesus wants Peter to know what it is to be his disciple. And what, what he's going to say in these verses we're going to look at, at first glance, this is going to look really hard. And you know what? It's because sometimes it, it can be really heavy. Um, but let's listen to Jesus and think about the adventure that it is to follow him. He wants to open our eyes and see Jesus for who he is so that we can have life in him. Let's, uh, let's read 24 to, 20, uh, to 25 of, uh, of Matthew chapter 16 here. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's a really amazing irony what Jesus is telling us is that if you want to save your own life, meaning you could spend your whole life trying to save yourself from, from life being a disappointment, from you could try to save yourself from God's wrath against your sin. Jesus is saying, if you end up doing that with your life, if you do that by yourself, you're actually gonna end up losing your life. But if you lose your life to him, if we deny ourselves, we say, it's not my life, it's not my dreams, it's not my control, and we, put, and we give our lives to him, our life is following him, ironically enough, that's how you save your life. That maybe is not the way the brain thinks, that that's what, where life is to be found, but that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. And he's not saying it won't be hard sometimes, because it will. Because Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And crosses are heavy things. Even before Jesus died on one, a cross was well known to be a symbol of death. If you saw someone in the Roman Empire carrying their cross, you knew their life as it was, was going to end. To follow Jesus means that our life as it was uh, comes to an end. Christian life is not about us, our life is in Jesus. So what is your cross to pick up? Whatever, it's whatever Jesus is asking you to do, whatever God asks us to do in the Bible, that is hard. And you know what? It will probably be different than it is to the person next to you. It's whatever part of your life it is that you haven't given to him. And I have found God to be so gracious in that. I would not have, when I first became a Christian, I would not have realized this, this whole part of my life that I haven't given to him. And he very graciously revealed that to me slowly over time. And then there are times when he's still gracious, but he's not quite so gentle. He gives me a bit of a shove sometimes and said, this is something in my life that you need to give to me. You need to surrender and trust me with this. And so whatever it is that your cross is, to trust Jesus when the cross is heavy is very hard. And it's really important to understand that when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, doing that in no way contributes to your salvation in the way that Jesus dying on the cross totally and completely does forgive us for our sins. But we are walking in Jesus' footsteps. We are called to follow him in the way that he went to the cross. We pick up our cross and we follow him. So what if he didn't? You could just not do that, I suppose. So what if he didn't? Well, look at uh, verse 26 of Matthew 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The alternative is you could spend your life trying to gain the world. What means the world to you? probably changes throughout your life, but what means the world to you? Jesus is saying you could try to get it, but if you try to get it without him, you'll end up forfeiting your soul. Because without the Messiah to save us from sin's penalty, and without the Messiah to save us from sin's empty promises, the world and sin will promise us a lot of things that'll fulfill us, and it's, it's never, never complete fulfillment. It's never last, lasting joy. But without believing in Jesus, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, as Jesus said to Peter, they actually will overcome you. They won't overcome the church because when we come to faith in Jesus, he brings us into his church and we become one of his people. 
But if we haven't done that, then eventually death will overcome you. You can't outrun it. Peter was appalled when Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem to die because it didn't fit with his view of who Jesus is. So if we go to Jesus and use him as a means to an end to get what we want, Jesus is going to frustrate you. And we realize we haven't actually gone to the real Jesus at all. We've gone to the one that we've made up in our head. But the real Jesus in giving us life actually sets us free. Because here's the truth, you could spend your life trying to get a life. You could struggle endlessly to get the money or the stuff or the relationships that we want. And by the time we get them, you'll probably want something else. Now, God may have some of those things in store for us. These things aren't necessarily bad things in of themselves. But if you make your life about getting them separate from God's, distant from him or unsatisfied with what he has for you, then they'll probably end up being more of a burden to you than being a joy. But life in Jesus means that we can live without the crushing weight of trying to make ourselves content. The security of having your life in Jesus means that you'll never lose it, even if you die. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. You could die. But if you're in Jesus, even death will not win because the one who rose to life again will raise you to life again. This can set you free from living a life of fear or of envy, of insecurity, of misery. God wants to set us free from that. God created you and he wants to save you through Jesus because he loves you. And so if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you're a Christian, then he will, of course, if he's going to do that for you when you were not even a believer in him, when you were his enemy because of sin, of course, he will continue to take care of you in life. There'll be times when following Jesus is hard, when it feels heavy. It is normal to be a follower of Jesus and to feel the heaviness sometimes. Do you know what that feels like? To feel the cost of following Jesus. But when you feel that, tell him, tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I'm finding this really hard. I have prayed and I have asked you for this, but it hasn't happened. You're asking me to carry a cross you haven't asked the people around me to carry. And I don't understand why. And please help me because I think again and again that there's life in what I don't have when actually there's life in you. Help me to live in you and not wander back to where I was before you opened my heart to believe. You know, guys, if Jesus was a king on a throne in the traditional sense of the word, he is on a throne, but if he was on an earthly throne in the traditional picture of that we have, we'd submit to him because we have to. He's the king, so we would not have a choice. But you know what you have in Jesus? You have a king who went to a cross for you. And therefore, you can submit to him in love and trust. You can see his character. And as you consider Jesus carrying his cross for you, he's going to help you to carry your cross. Whatever it is, Jesus comforts his followers who feel this heavy cost. And he lifts our head to the future. Do you look at verse 27? Chapter, in chapter 16 there, he says, the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. He's pointing our head to the future. He's not going to reward us like, you know, well done, you did well, well, you did slightly less. That's not what that reward means there. He means that he's going to take care of us. Jesus really is this son of man that he said he was. He is the king of God's kingdom. He is God's son. He is the suffering Messiah who did all these things for us. And when Jesus' kingdom comes on earth, when he returns one day, we won't know the heaviness of the crosses we have to carry anymore. And Jesus also said this to us. I'll finish with this. This is the rest of Matthew chapter 11. Whatever it is that Jesus asks you to carry, whatever kind of king you think Jesus is, this is who he is. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to see Jesus for who he is. So please open our eyes wider still to see him. That he is the king, he is your son who went to the cross for us. He's our Messiah. He loves us so much. He forgives us of our sins through his death on the cross. And Lord Jesus, as we follow you, and if we know the crosses that we have to pick up to follow you, if we're finding it hard to, to surrender to you, to trust you with, our, with everything that we are. Please help us to look again to the cross and see your character, see who you are, see that you love us, see that you will take us through all the way until we see you face to face. But we pray you bring blessing and peace to your people. Amen.